You are listening to the CMC Podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Student Pastor Josh Barnett. Well, welcome to our midweek service. I'm excited about sharing uh, with everyone tonight. If your Bible doesn't fall over to first, fall open to First John yet, go ahead and uh, and turn to chapter three with me tonight. We're going to be starting lesson five, and tonight I'm going to be covering chapter three, verses eleven through twenty-four. Now, if you've read through First John at all, you notice that some things kind of reoccur and and. Uh, some scholars, theologians kind of compare it to a spiraling staircase because he keeps coming back around to the same thing. Like, all right, John, we get it. Here we go again. Um, but he's looking at three different topics throughout his book. He's looking at love, obedience, and truth. And while they reoccur, he's not being repetitious. Simply what he's doing is he's looking at it from a different point of view. He's looking at it from a different, a different angle. And in chapter 2, verses 7 through 11, we already looked at our love for other believers But the emphasis in chapter two was on the fellowship of believers and a believer who is walking in the light is evident by his love for his brothers. In this lesson tonight, we're going to look at a love for other believers, but with the emphasis on our relationship with other people. So Christians love one another because we've all been loved by God. And we've got to understand as a church, as believers, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are all a part of the same family and we are called to love one another. And so that's what we're going to be looking at tonight. Now, in the first part of chapter three, we are reminded that a true child of God practices righteousness. And so that's, that's what he talks about. Verses one through 10 is a child, a true child of God practices righteousness. But if you notice in verse 10, I want to look at verse 10 real quick. He's, this is kind of the hinge point where he switches, switches, uh, uh, topics here. He says, so now we can tell who are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God or who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love other believers does not belong to God. Wow, that's intense. So he's basically saying you're a child of God or you're a child of the devil. If you don't live righteously, you don't belong to God. And then he throws that B clause in there, which he moves into in verses 11, is that if you don't love other believers, you're not a child of God. And so that's what we're going to to look at tonight. Again, we were told in chapter 2, 7 through 11, that we we're supposed to love the brethren and, and that it's a matter of light and darkness. If we don't love one another, we cannot walk in light, no matter how loud our profession is, no matter how much we say that we're Christians, no matter how much we try to act like our Christians. He says, if you don't love your brothers and sisters in Christ, you are not a child of God. You're not truly from him. In this lesson tonight, we're going to see that loving our brethren is really a matter of life and death. If you'll look, we'll read all this together in a second. But if you look in verse 14, it says, if we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. So loving other believers is actually a sign, a confirmation that we are saved. It's actually a confirmation that we are Christians. So if we don't love believers, we need to check our relationship with the Lord. If you find that you don't love your brothers and sisters who sit next to you, if we find that we don't love other believers from other churches, other believers from all over the world, if we find that we don't love them, we need to check our relationship with the Lord because John is saying here that that is a sign that you are saved. That is a sign that you are a child of God. And he says, love other believers, not, not just the ones who look like us, not just the ones who talk like us, who have the same skin color as us, who dress like us. It means all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
So just because they go to a different church down the road, they are still a believer. They are, they still believe in Jesus. They are still saved. And so we're supposed to love them like our brothers and sisters of Christ. And I want to say we can be brothers and sisters in Christ and not agree on everything. We can still love each other and not agree on everything. We may be a little different in politics, or we may be a little bit different in business, or we may be a little bit different in our families. We may be a little bit different in our friendships, but we can still believe the same way. Now, I'm not talking about breaking anything morally. Obviously, God calls us to live a certain way, but we don't have to agree on every exact same thing to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We can disagree on the end times and still be brothers and sisters in Christ. Because we, we probably do. There's about 15 different beliefs on the end times. And so we can disagree on those things and still be family. Uh, I've got, I have got some youth pastor friends of mine, and they're, they're hardcore Calvinists. And I'm not a Calvinist. But we are still brothers in Christ. They love Jesus, and I love Jesus. And it, like, we, still, we still can get along. We, still can, we can go to different camps, and we can still love each other. So we can, we can disagree on some certain things, but that doesn't mean that we have to cut off fellowship. We can still love each other despite some differences. <clears throat> we, and we have to love each other. John is making it clear here that it's not optional. It is a command that we love one another. You know, Jesus made a, a fascinating statement in probably one of the most important chapters in all of Scripture. And it's definitely one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture. And you can have favorites. I don't know if you know that or not. Like, you can have. And I definitely can say that some, I think that some parts of the Bible are more important than others. And if you don't believe me, go study the book of Numbers tonight and come back and talk to me tomorrow and see how you feel about it. So, <laughs> but anyways... I, I think John chapter 17 is one of the most important chapters that we have in all of scripture. John chapter 17, you should go read it. It is Jesus talking to the father through the Holy spirit. And so you've got this amazing picture of the Trinity of God talking to God through God. It's incredible. And so what better place to see the heart of our Lord than right there where Jesus is praying to the father. And he he prays this. He prays, may the world know they are my disciples by the way they love one another. If, he is, if Jesus is praying that, that is really, really key and that is really important. We've got to understand that. And he, pray, he actually prays for us because he prays for the ones who will believe in the future. And he says, may they be one as you and I are one as he's talking to the Lord. And so he's saying that we love each other so much that we are united as one as much as the Father and Jesus are one. So that's crazy. And it, it's intense that he says that we love each other so much that the world believes that God, that, that he is real, that he exists. That our love for one another is supposed to be so different than what the world has to offer. It's supposed to be so sacrificial, so radical, so, so different than how the world is, says that what love is love. But we're supposed to love one another so intensely that they know we are followers of Jesus. Do we love each other so much that people look at us and go, wow, God is real. Or wow, there's something really different about your life. Or people recognize that, wow, you are a follower of Jesus by the way that you love those that are in your church. So I would say loving one another is super important since Jesus prayed that. And that's probably why he keeps coming back to it in his book. So we're going to look at and talk about verses 11 through 24 and look at a few things that he says here. So let's read this real, real quick. And then we will talk about it. Verse 11. 
It says, this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. If we love our Christian brothers and sisters, it proves that we have passed from death to life. But a person who has no love is still dead. Anyone who hates another brother or sister is really a murderer at heart. And you know that murderers don't have eternal life within them. We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show the truth by our actions. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth so we will be confident when we stand before God. Even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. Dear friends, if we, do not, if we don't feel guilty, we can come to God with bold confidence and we'll receive from him whatever we ask because we obey him and do the things that please him. And this is his commandment. We must believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. Those who obey God's commandments remain in fellowship with him and he with them. And we know he lives in us because the spirit he gave lives in us. Okay, going through this, John gives four possible options for our relationship with other believers. So I want, I want you to write these down. He gives us four possible options in our relationship with other believers. In verse, verses 11 and 12, the first option he gives us is murder. That's not a good one. That's, that's a bad option. I would not choose this option. The first option he gives is murder. So we probably, we probably want to stay away from this one. This, is, of course, is a, the lowest option you can get in your relationship with your brethren in Christ. So stay away from this one. And John eight forty four, he says, for you are children of your father. He's talking to the Pharisees here. For you are children of your father, the devil, and you do the evil things he does. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he's always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So he's very clear here that this is not good. Um, So the way that we treat other people, the way that we love people or not love them originates from one or two sources. If it originates from the father, we love people. But if you find yourself disliking or hating people, that is from the devil. That is not from God. That's not from him. And Cain is the example that he uses here in Genesis chapter four, verses one through eight. I'm not going to turn there tonight, but in Genesis chapter four, verses one through eight, Cain and Abel are brothers. They are the sons of Adam. Cain was the firstborn, Abel was the secondborn. They were brothers, and what happens is they are giving a sacrifice to the Lord, and God rejects Cain's sacrifice, and he accepts Abel's sacrifice. Now, what we deduct, and the reason why, is that Abel, it says Abel brings his first fruits. That he brings, or he brings, he brings the best of the lamb, and then Cain just brought, it kind of seems like he just brought what he wanted to. And since he brought what he wanted to, the Lord, the Lord rejected his offering and it made him angry. And then he began to get jealous of Abel and he kills Abel. Now they were both brothers. They were brothers. They both believed in God. They were both worshiping the Lord and he chose to murder his brother. So it wasn't that Cain didn't believe in God and it wasn't that Cain didn't worship the Lord. He was worshiping God, but because of what happened to him and because he was jealous and compared himself to Abel, he then killed Abel. He killed his brother. 
Cain failed in love for his brother to the point that it drove him to murder. And it says here that Satan, it says Satan was Cain's father. Now it doesn't literally mean that Satan fathered Cain. It was saying that Cain took after Satan because he chose to act on his anger and his hatred. His attitude and actions originated from Satan. They did not come from God. Cain became a murderer and a liar like Satan. And and, in contrast, John teaches us that God is love and truth. And those who are like God walk in love and truth. So if you look at his attitudes and his actions, his offering was rejected. He decided to worship God in his own way. You could say that's religion there, that he decided to worship God his way. Because if you fast forward, did not the Pharisees begin to do the same thing? They begin to put religion, the spirit of religion came in. They begin to put all these extra bylaws and all these things. And were really, they were keeping people from the presence of the Lord. And, and Jesus called them out on it. And what did the Pharisees then do to Jesus? They had him killed. They murdered him. So the Pharisees did the same thing to Jesus that Cain did to his brother Abel. They had Jesus killed. When the world comes face to face with reality and truth, it's only got one or two choices. It can repent and change, or it will seek to destroy that which calls it out. It, will, it can repent and change, or it will seek to destroy that which shows it truth, that which is, exposes it. And that's what Cain did with Abel, and that's what the Pharisees did with Jesus. And really, sometimes one of the Christian's biggest persecutors is other Christians. It happens a lot. If you really begin to walk this thing out, if you really begin to live holy, people who are under the influence of a a demonic religious spirit, they will not like it. They will actually persecute you when you begin to walk this thing out. Because when you truly get transformed, it convicts people around you. When you begin walking this thing out in, a, in, in such a holy way, it convicts and these, and people feel shame when they're not walking to the level in which you're lock, walking. And so they can either then take that conviction and repent and change, or they let bitterness, Hebrews 12 talks about letting a root of bitterness and tearing apart brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we've got to be aware if somebody's life convicts the way that you live, then, then ri- repent and rise to meet that standard. And, and you know, it's so, it's so silly because we begin to judge ourselves by the people around us. And that's not what we're supposed to do. We should judge ourselves by the standard that Jesus set for us, not by those around us. We got to judge ourselves by the standard that, that Jesus sets, but living a holy life will cause believers to dislike you. It will cause some believers to dislike you. <clears throat> and, and back to you know, judging ourselves by ourselves, don't ever justify something because somebody that you look up to or somebody, you know, um, some, you know, some preacher or some whatever says that it's okay. What does the word of God say? Don't justify sin because you says you saw so-and-so doing it. I tell our young people this all the time. Like, I don't care what that person is doing. What does the Bible say? How does God tell us to live? We can, we cannot lower our standards to what other people are doing. We always have to look to Christ. Oh, anyway, so your first option is murder. Don't do that. My little rant there. <laughs> Number two, the second option is hatred. The second option. So the first option you have is you can murder that person, which I would just, you know, avoid doing that. Um, the second option is hatred in verses 13 through 15. He begins to talk about hatred. 
Um, and you know, probably no one in this room has murdered someone. Um, hopefully if you do, um, let us know and we will call the police and you know, we'll take care of it. Um, but God says that hatred is the same thing as murder. He says that hatred is the same thing as murder. If you look at Matthew five twenty one through 22 in the sermon on the Mount, he says, Jesus, this is Jesus talking. You have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you are subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot or a fool, you are in the danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. I didn't say that. Don't get offended at me. That was Jesus. He said that. So get, get mad at Jesus. But he, that's what he's saying is that if you have anger in your heart, if you've got hate in your heart, you are just as guilty of murder. And he said the same thing about adultery. Well, I haven't committed the physical act of adultery. And he said, have you lusted in your heart? Because if you've lusted, you've committed adultery with that woman already in your heart. And so Jesus was always going after the heart issue. And while obviously we may not have murdered someone, do we have hate in our heart towards another believer? Do we have hate in our heart towards a brethren? You see, it's not about, it's not about what you did. Jesus is going after the heart. What do you want to do? What do you want to do? He's, he's coming after this. God judges us by our hearts. He judges us by our motives. What's going on right here? Jesus wants to transform us at a heart level. If we get transformed at a heart level, the outside begins to transform. And so he's coming after right here. And the antidote to hatred is love. The antidote to hatred is love. And the antidote to hatred in our hearts towards other believers is God's love. And we ask the Lord to fill us with his love for other people. Lord, like if, if you're having trouble with somebody, like if you, if you have a hate or an anger or you're offended or whatever, what you need to do is ask the Lord to give you his heart for that person and pray that every day, even when you don't feel like it. And even when they don't deserve it, because what do we deserve and what did God do for us? Pray that God would fill you with his love and that will take care of the hate and anger in your heart. The third option is indifference. Indifference. You can say apathy. Just, eh, don't care. And he talks about this in verses 16 and 17. And in 1 John 3, 16 is powerful. And it's so, it, it, it almost mirrors John three sixteen, which same author, but 1 John three sixteen kind of mirrors for, uh, first John three sixteen kind of mirrors John three sixteen. It's and he says we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. What is John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. Do we see that there? For God so loved the world that he gave his son. And so what he's showing us is this is is this is how you love. Love is sacrificial. Love lay, love lays down its life. See the test of real Christian love isn't abstaining from evil, it's doing good. The real test of Christian love isn't abstaining from evil, it's doing good. And a lot of people think, well, I'm good. I'm not doing bad things. Yeah, but are you showing people love? Are you showing people the love of God? See, Jesus didn't simply talk about his love. He proved it. He didn't just talk about it. He proved it to the point of death on the cross. And Jesus, Jesus was not a martyr. He didn't have his life taken from him. He said that he was laying it down on his own accord. You can go read it in John chapter, actually, let's go read it. John chapter 10. Turn there with me real quick. It's, it's, it's so good. 
John chapter 10. I'm going to start in verse 11 here. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will abandon the sheep because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's only working for money and doesn't really care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me just as my father knows me and I know the father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The father loves me because I, I sacrifice my love so that I may take it back again. My life so I may take it back again. No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have the authority to lay it down and when I want to and also take it up again. For this is what my father commanded. So Jesus is God. He's man, but he's God. He's God in human flesh. Nobody takes, took his life. At any time, he could have called down legions of angels to remove him off that cross. At any time, he could have said, forget y'all, I'm out. He's God. He laid down his life for us. He proved his love. He didn't just talk about it. He proved his love for us. And and Jesus, so he willingly laid it down. But he's even showing us, it's not necessarily that you have to take a bullet for somebody, which is awesome, or you have to be killed for somebody. That's great. But, But it's actually sacrificing your selfish desires. It's actually more, it's more than a physical death. It's putting other people's needs before my own. It's putting other people's needs before my own, putting other people above myself. It, self-sacrifice is, is like the number one thing in our spiritual walk. Jesus, when he, came to, when he would come to people and tell them to follow him, he would say, take up your cross and follow me. Actually, that's the only commandment you can, you can find in all four gospels, where he comes along and he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses it for my sake will find it. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow after me. And he, was he not the ultimate one? Like he was the ultimate example. He didn't ask us to do something that he didn't do. But that's like the first step into our spiritual walk is I got to deny me. I got to deny myself. Paul said in Galatians 2.20, no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so we lay ourselves down and we put other people, we put brothers and sisters, we put our family above ourselves. That's what he's talking about. And many times we get caught up in this just indifference, this apathy, this whatever. We get, we get caught up in our own selfish life that we forget, hey, there's other people out here that need my love. There's people that need me to lay my life. We can't just neglect to help one another. It, Jesus gives the parable in Luke 10 about the Good Samaritan. Because a lawyer comes and asks him, okay, uh, who, I know that you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I know you're supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. But Jesus, tell me this, who is my neighbor? Who's my neighbor? It's like he's trying to catch Jesus. Like Jesus was actually just talking about the person that lived right next to you. No, no. So he gives this parable of the good Samaritan where this Jewish man gets mugged and a couple people come along and they, they avoid him. They step to the other side of the road and a good Samaritan which the Jews and Samaritans didn't like each other. There was a lot of racism there. The Samaritan stops and helps the Jewish man. And he tells the lawyer, go and do the same. 
And he's showing you help everybody. You love everyone. Your neighbor means everybody. And so we, we can't neglect to help one another. Jesus focused the attention. Who do you help? That man that's in need. Who are we supposed to love? The people that are in need. The, the real test of Christian love is not coming in church and raising your hands. The real test of Christian love is not praying. Those things are great. They're awesome. They're part of it. But the real test of Christian love is helping people quietly. Not, not boasting about it. Not boasting about it. You know, you give with your right hand. You don't let your left hand know what it's doing. The real test of Christian love is helping those who are in need without looking for anything in return. So a man doesn't have to murder to sin. He doesn't even have to hate to sin. He actually is in sin when he ignores his brothers in need. That, that's still sin. So the third option was indifference. The last option and the option that we want to choose is the right one. It's compassion. It's love. It's actually doing it. You know, James chapter two, verses 15 through 16 says, suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or, food or clothing and you say goodbye and have a good day. Stay warm and eat well. That is so, that sounds so crazy to me. <laughs> But then you don't give that person any food or clothing. What good does that do is what James asks us. It doesn't do any good if we see those who are in need, but then we don't do anything about it. If you see your brothers or sisters in your church, in your community of faith, and you don't do anything about it, what good is that? It's like saying, all right, stay warm. Have a good life. Well, if we hear that people have need around us that are believers, we, we, we've got to seek, we've got to find a way to help them. We've got to find a way to show them love. So love, love in word means to, to simply talk about a need. I'm going to go back to uh, verse 18 here. And back in 1 John 3, he says, Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let's show truth by our actions. So in in word means that we just say it, but he actually, we're supposed to show it in our deeds. We're supposed to show it in our actions. We're supposed to actually live this out where we can't just talk about it. How clearly do your actions say that you love other people around us? I think that's a good question that we can ask ourselves tonight. Do my actions show that I love those around me? Are that not just the things that I'm saying, because it's really easy to say, I love you. But do your actions show that you love that person? Husbands, it's really easy to say to our wives, I love you. But do our actions show that we love them? Because Ephesians chapter 5 says that we lay our life down for our wives like Christ laid his down for the church. And so do we put our wives ahead of ourselves? It's easy to say it, but are we actually doing it? And wives, are we loving our husbands like the church is supposed to love Christ back? It's easy to say, I love you, but are we showing our spouses that we love them by what we do? I'm sorry, the marriage conference is this Saturday, so uh, shameless plug right here. Come to the marriage conference Saturday, 9 to noon, right right here. Tim and Paul will be talking about this Saturday. (laughs) Do we show it? Um, A good question to ask is, am I generous? Am I generous? You know, you don't have to have a lot of money to be generous. We all have time. And I think that's the way that you show a lot of people that you love them is by giving your time. What, what can you do? What can you do? You know, young people, you don't have to have a lot of money to be generous. You know, you can, you can volunteer to babysit for somebody. I know a lot of single moms that could use a free babysitter once a week. Are are we showing people that we love them by what we do? Are we generous with our time, our possessions, our money? 
This is something that is actually supposed to mark the New Testament church. In Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47, it says, All believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing meals and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them as the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. All the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. This is fascinating here. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. See, do we love people to that extent? Do we love people that, man, I will sell my stuff to help you. I will give up, I will give up luxuries to help you. If there's a family in need, I will give up. And, and you know, need is kind of a funny word in America. We don't really, sometimes you look around, we don't have a lot of needs. You, you may not make a lot of money, but there's probably not anybody in here that's hungry. Like all of our needs are met, but do we have brothers and sisters across the world that we could give to? We, we support Alan and Hon, uh, Alvin in Honduras. We send him money every month. There's a lot of hungry kids down there. Are, are we doing what we can to support those who are in need? Well, you know, I look around and they're, they're met, they're met, they're met. Well, don't just look at it maybe from a money standpoint, but how can you help them with their kids or how can you help them with their yard or how, you know, we, we have probably the largest retirement community in the nation. How can, how can we help? Can we mow somebody's yard? Can we take care of that? Can we, you know, can we run them around town? Can we help them run errands? What is a way that we are showing love to those who are around us? And then he also says in, in Acts 4, 32 to 35, they were, all the believers were united in heart and mind. They felt that, they own, that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. That is amazing. Verse 34, there were no needy people among them because those who own land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles to give to those who are in need. So how can we sacrificially, how can we show that we love those around us? Okay, to close tonight, those are our four options. And the last option is the only one that you want to choose because you got murder, you got hatred, you got indifference, but the last one is compassion. And we want to be a people marked by compassion. We want to be a people marked by love for one another. And the last thing tonight, what James closes it with, he closes it with some blessings. You know, I'll, I'll, man, I'll take some blessings. Can we have some blessings tonight? This is what he closes it with. Closes it. He gives us three blessings in verses 19 through 24 that will come to those that practice love. The first thing is assurance or confidence in verses 18 through 20. So in verse 19, he says, we will be the B clause. We will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and he knows everything. And then back in Matthew 5, when Jesus is talking in the Sermon on the Mount, after he talks about you can't have this hate in your heart, he goes into verse 23. He says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Why? Because when, there, when we've got, when there's something in between me and another believer, I've got to take care of that first before I come into the presence of God. Because if there's something there, then I, can, I won't be able to boldly come into the presence of God. I can't confidently come in because there's something wrong that I've got to take care of. And so he's saying, go, go take care of that and then come back. And so when we love believers like we're supposed to, 
we have a confidence and an assurance when we come in, into the presence of God. And that is a huge blessing because I think guilt and shame and condemnation and a lot of things keep people out of the presence of God. But what if the way that we loved one another didn't bring that on us, that we didn't feel guilt or shame because we were actually doing what God told us to do. And so then we had an assurance to come in. So if something's not right, you need to settle it. It's more important than offering. And he says, it's clear, offering to God is not acceptable until we are right with people. When we, are in, when we are moving in love towards people, we have an assurance that we are right with God. If you feel convicted tonight about maybe not loving believers, or maybe there's something, you know, you can fix that tonight. You can start loving people tonight. You can start going after that. Um, if the Holy Spirit has told you to do something for someone, do it. Just be obedient to what he tells you to do. If you see a need in the world, I, th- I think many times people are wondering like, God, what do you want me to do? What's my ministry? What do you want me to do in this world? And, and, and what I ask people is what moves your heart? What need do you see in the world that moves your heart? It, like, are you moved that there are hungry kids in other countries? Then do something about it. Be obedient to what God is putting on the inside of you. If there is a need in your heart that bothers you, it may be the Holy Spirit telling you to do something about it. That may be him whispering you or convicting you. Don't ignore it. Set your heart and mind on God's love and he will lead you in love and he will show you how to love. He'll show you how to love. Don't ignore it. And also, don't feel guilty because you can't change the world. I run into some believers who are like, well, I, I just feel like I can't, I can't reach everybody. Well, none of us can reach everybody. Jesus didn't reach everybody. He reached 120. And he changed their life and he sent them out and they changed the world. And we're here because of those 120. We're here because, and so you can't reach everybody, but we can all reach somebody. And you know, if we all reach somebody, we'll reach everybody. <laughs> if, we'll all, if we'll focus on our sphere of influence and showing the love of God in our sphere of influence, then we'll reach every sphere. If believers will show love in the area that they're in, then we will reach everybody. God knows everything. That's what he says. Don't be, don't be led by your, God's greater than your feelings. He knows everything. He knows what your motives are. And so don't be beating yourself up because man, I feel like I'm supposed to reach all these people and I'm just not doing it. He knows that you want to, he sees that desire. He sees that desire. And what he wants you to do tonight is just help somebody. Just love one person. Just love the people, just love the people that are close to you. Love those that are around you. Do what he tells you to do. we're in Christ. We're his children. He doesn't condemn us. He's greater than our feelings. Number two, answered prayer. 20, 21 and 22. He talks about that. We can come. If we obey him, we can come and ask him and he will do the things. He will do those things for us. These verses don't give us all the conditions on answered prayer, but they do give us some in John 14. He talks about if you, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me and obey me, I will do what you ask. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, he says in John 15, you may ask anything in my name and I will do it. And so if we are loving him and obeying him, our prayers are answered. And what's he telling us to do in this chapter? Love the people that are around you. If you'll love the people that are around you, then that won't be a thing that hinders your prayers. Because our pra- our, he's clear, our prayers can be hindered because he says if, you're, if you don't obey me, then you're not apart with me. But if we obey him, we are in him. 
And when, and when we're in him, we ask for things that line up for his will. Yeah, we've got to understand, in Jesus' name is not a magical prepositional phrase. <laughs> it's not, a, God, please give me a million dollars. In Jesus' name, boom. No, actually, when you pray that, the Holy Spirit is going, don't give this man a million dollars. It'll destroy him. It's, it's when we ask things in his name, it's that when we are in him, when we abide in him, then we, we ask things that line up with his will. We li- and then he answers that. When you remain in him, you remain in obedience. When you remain in obedience, you remain in his will. And then you'll only ask for things to be done that are in his will because you're in him. So in Jesus' name, it's a statement of faith. It's saying that I'm in Christ and because I'm in Christ, these things I'm asking for shall be done because they are his will. That's what in Jesus' names mean. Number three, last one, verses 23 and 24, we get to abide in him. We get to, have, we get to remain in fellowship. When we obey God, we get to remain in fellowship with him. We get to stay right with him. John chapter 15, again, one of my favorite chapters, 15, 16, 17. I think I could read those chapters over and over and over again. John 15, if you remain in me, and my words in you, he says, abide in me, abide in me, abide in me. And then he says, if you love me, you'll obey me. If you love me, you'll obey me because I am obeying my father and I and him are one. I, I think the key to obeying God is abiding in him. And I think the key to abiding him in him is obeying him. You tracking with that? The key to, abide, the key to obeying, it's, it's really not hard. What you have to simply do is just abide. It's just remain in him. And then, and then you, he will give you the strength and the grace and the love to obey him. And if you obey him, you'll remain in him. And if you, if you remain in him, you'll want to obey him. Abiding is actually the key to obeying. Abiding in him gives you the strength and the want to, to obey him. Abide to obey and obey to abide. Abide to obey and obey to abide. The John finishing up this chapter, teaching us about love obedience and truth. And these are all keys to our life with God. Did y'all get something out of this tonight? Y'all standing with me. Let's pray. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. Lord, we thank you so much that you showed us what true love was, that you didn't simply tell us to do it. You actually showed it. You said greater love hath no man than this, than one laid down his life for his friends And you laid down your life for us, Lord. And we are so grateful to you for that love. Lord, we ask that you would fill us with that love, that you would teach us. Ephesians 5, 1 says that we're supposed to imitate you, that we're supposed to walk in love in all that we do. Lord, show us how to walk in love with our families, at our job sites, and especially with other believers, Lord. Teach us how to love other believers so that the world would know that you exist, that you are real, that you love them. For God so loved the world. God, we're grateful to you for Jesus. We're grateful to you tonight for all that you're doing in our life. Holy Spirit, fill us with your presence. Lead, guide, and direct us as we finish out this week. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to the CMC Podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.